Hello, everyone. Thank you for watching another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. Um, for anyone who's been paying close attention tonight, I moved the time of this live stream twice. First, because I was still driving, and then I got to the truck stop, tried to do it out in the truck, and just couldn't get the hot spot to get a good enough connection. And so now I'm in a motel room in the Columbia River Gorge in Oregon. It's beautiful here. I picked up this enormous loader near Portland that's going back to Salt Lake City. Uh, I've been stranded out here a few days. It's been kind of weird. We were sitting on the border of Oregon for, I don't know, like three hours the other day waiting for our permit. And then we got close to Portland and they told us the machine wasn't going to be ready until Friday morning. But they had it ready this afternoon, so we went and loaded it up. Got back outside of Portland, about 100 miles east, and we're spending the night here. Also, my live stream with Dave Smith that was supposed to happen on Tuesday uh, got postponed to next Tuesday. He had some scheduling conflicts, so that will be happening just next Tuesday instead. Um, and yeah, uh, we're having the Four Horsemen on Sunday, so make sure you tune in for that. But anyway, let's bring my guest on. This guy, uh, he had me on like a year ago, and I was rude enough to, you know, wait this long to have him back on. But at least I'm having him on. He is Matt from The Dad Presents, and he is still terrified of COVID. That's why he doesn't want to catch it from me through the microphone. So he is really taking social distancing seriously. How are you doing tonight, man? I am good. I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you so much, Reed. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, we got the the B.A. Baracus variant, and I want to make sure all your viewers know that that I care. I want them to see my virtue, so I put on the mask, make sure we don't infect each other. So that's yeah. how it is. But, man, I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm kidding. I'm going to take this off. That's ridiculous. <laughs> God damn it. I hate these things. My kids had to wear them for two years. They just stopped only like a month ago, right? And... Uh, California's talking already like they might bring him back because of this new variant, which has me pretty freaking livid. Yeah. So you live in Los Angeles area, which is insane, in my opinion. Like, I, I mean, I it's funny. I just drove there what a few weeks ago to um, near Oxnard, picked up a bulldozer at the port, drove it back. It's absolutely beautiful. I love the landscape, love most of the weather, but I don't know. Like, I don't think I could do it, man. I've never lived. I've actually literally never lived in a blue state. So a lot of people know how much I hate conservatives. It's probably because I've had to deal with their bullshit my whole life. I've right. never lived in like a solid. I've lived in Colorado. That was the closest I've lived to a blue state. But I've never lived in like Los Angeles or New York City or anywhere like that. I I. I totally feel you on that. I'm I, I'm with you 100% on that. But I come from Pennsylvania, and then I spent about three years bouncing all over the country. I lived in about 22 states. I was a physical oh, therapist, wow. and what I would do is I would I would call up hospitals all over the country and find a hospital who had a pregnant therapist, and I'd do like a short-term contract for like three, four months, maybe six months. I did that for three or four years, 22 states. That brought me out to California. And I was like, this, this is the best spot, you know, for a young man, 24, you know, we're talking 20 years ago, there's nothing better than California, the beach, the weather, the women, but it's, it sucks now. You're right. It sucks. Like 
I never thought a state government could have a big impact on my life. Like you never really paid attention to local politics. I just didn't pay attention. You're always, you're always paying attention to national politics, but the local politics just weren't that interesting. Um, and then COVID happened and you're like, fuck the governor of your state really matters. Like my kids didn't go to school for a year. So we started talking to, um, I'm going to forget his name right now, but uh, another libertarian, he does a podcast about traveling. He's in Panama and he started advising us and we got hooked up. We went down to Panama. Uh, we got our visas. So we have an exit plan to maybe move to Panama. We bought a house in Florida. We might move there. Uh, but it's tough leaving this place because you still got the you still got the weather. I'm married, but you still got the pretty babies on the beach. And my kids, you know, they're they're nine and 12. They got a whole life now, like to convince them to pick up and go in the name of liberty. Right. It's hard to convince that to a child. Like you should leave this place because in a decade you might be a fucking slave or you might not be able to afford to live here. We should maybe go now. It's hard to hard to make that argument to a, a nine year old. Yeah. Well, I got to admit, I've been to all 50 states, most of them many times. And as far as geography goes, California wins. I mean, because it has everything, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's got mountains, forests, yep. ocean, yep. desert whatever i mean literally everything I, every, yeah, every i remember everything it, you want. it just kind of blew my mind because i had this preconceived idea of what it was before yes. i ever visited it and then i did a two-week tour through the whole state i went up the entire pacific coast highway route one and then 101 up near the top that just <laughs> that blew my mind you know go through big yeah. sur going over the gold gate bridge up into the redwoods and then i looped back down and I went through Kings Canyon, Sequoia, Yosemite, Death Valley, like all those national parks. And mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, anyone who can't understand why someone would want to live there has not seen enough of the state. They've just like yeah. driven through Pasadena or something and been like, wow, right. this sucks. And then never, well, you know, turned around. <laughs> what most people's impression of California before they get here is, is Hollywood. And then right. when people visit from out of town, the first thing they always want to do is go see that shitty walk of fame. And yeah. I tell visitors every time, like, don't go to Hollywood. You're going to regret it. You're going to spend two hours getting there because there's always rush hour and then you're going to spend 15 minutes looking at fucking cement feet you're going to be miserable then you're gonna have a two-hour drive home like california has so much to offer with the beaches the mountains like you said, if you love the outdoors it's it's incredible so it breaks yeah. my heart that like when i came here it was for a job for four months and i was like well this is paradise i'm gonna stay and it breaks my heart now that we're probably gonna leave like i would say the only places i've been in the entire world that are more beautiful uh here here in america is alaska alaska is just absolutely stunning yeah. but you can't live in alaska you know i'm not a polar bear like you can't <laughs> you can't live there you know what i mean like you can but you're gonna get six months of darkness nobody wants that and then like thailand and i'm not gonna move to thailand so it breaks my heart that we might have to leave this place but it is what it is yeah yeah it's nice to have another libertarian on the show who's traveled a lot because it seems like a lot of libertarians aren't way into that. Like a lot, I mean, some of them who are doing speaking tours or whatever have been a lot of places, but a lot of people who like to keep to themselves, they don't tend to get out about much and see much of the world. But it's actually what kind of turned me into a libertarian was traveling because um, I had all these preconceived ideas about what everything was. 
before I went there, California being a great example. And then when you go experience it and realize you were wrong, then you start wondering, okay, what else have I what just I assumed that yeah. I, I don't know anything about? So I started looking more deeply into like foreign policy and the war on drugs and just all these different issues. And then immigration was a big one for me because I used to be like a hard line, deport all the illegals, build a wall, you know. And then I, I didn't even realize like what those words meant. And then you start working with immigrants in Arizona and Colorado and you get to know this guy who has a family, an American wife, kids who go to school, and he's been here, you know, 24 years, but he's technically illegal because of the way he crossed the border 24 years ago, even though right. he pays taxes and has a job. So everything's just like way more complicated than the Republicans and Democrats want you to look at things. Yeah. And when you like get out and meet a ton of different people and just have your mind open to all these different ideas for me it turned it's one of the things that really helped me turn that page in my life i don't know if there's any oh, no absolutely I, I, yeah. I came from a, a family that's very conservative catholic uh very conservative and naturally like a lot of kids do like i think most libertarians have a, have a little bit of rebellion in them so i naturally rebelled against that but i went in the opposite direction i became i went to college i became very liberal um but my idea of what a liberal was at that time is different than what it is now it was right. it was you know anti-war that used to be a, a liberal thing anti-war um you know, ending the drug wars. That was a liberal thing. So that's, that's how I identified. Um, and then the 2001 wars happened and I, I dug in more to that idea that I was a liberal because those are the only people I saw resisting these horrible wars. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm older than you. I was, you know, a young man at that time. I was remember being very much against it. And I remember being called anti-American for asking the kind of questions that like guys like Bill Maher were asking on TV, like, Right. Why did they attack us? And and were they really cowards and stuff like that? Um, and that really turned me off to conservatives. And I started getting very angry with conservatives. And then Obama came into office. And I was like, well, OK, this we're going to start going in the right direction. But none of that happened at all. And that's when Ron Paul came on the scene. And this guy was now talking like what I thought a liberal was, even though he was from the Republican Party. He was anti-war. He was anti-drug war. He was all the things that I believed in. And I was like, well, I guess I'm this thing. I guess I'm not either of those other two things. I guess I'm this thing. Let's roll with that. And I've been on that path ever since. Um, I saw you just had Ron on your show. It was an awesome episode. I, I had the honor of having him on uh, about a month ago. And I mean... You know, never, I don't know about you, but never in my life that I think I would get to sit down and talk to a man like that for a half hour. No. It, was, it was deeply honoring <laughs> to me. Yeah, it was great. I mean, seeing him come on your show um, is what motivated me to like, okay, now's the time. If if he went on his show, maybe he'll go on my show too, you know, and I had uh, <laughs> yeah. Daniel McAdams like right before Ron and I was setting that up. I was setting up the date with Danny McAdams when I saw you announce Ron Paul's coming on my show. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Maybe because I didn't even know he was doing shows. I thought he was like occasionally going on like Kitco to talk about gold or something or whatever. But I didn't <laughs> think he was like doing podcasts anymore. And so then I saw you say he was coming on and I was like, all right, now's the time now or never, you know, like who knows. But um, totally, man, like that, that was a 
in a lot of ways, that's a pinnacle, you know, that'll never be surpassed. I mean, it, it doesn't mean the show's over or anything, but <laughs> in some ways that is the highest I'll ever get, you know, like, it is, nah, it man, is you got You got a, you got a long way to go. That's a launching point for you. I, I I've yeah. been keeping my eye on you. I saw you on Ken, Kennedy a couple months ago. <laughs> I mean, your, your stars just starting to shine. You're going to be just fine, but I know what you mean is it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful honor. Um, and, and the thing, what struck me is he's, I forget how old he is, but he's, he's older than Biden by a substantial amount. And he's still he's incredibly this year, 87. So, wow. Yeah. Another guy I had on was uh, G Edward Griffin. Who's 90. He wrote, um, you know, the creature from Jekyll Island. Are you familiar with that yeah. book? Yeah. Both of these men are incredibly sharp, which blew me away. It humbled me because I'm not nearly as sharp as them. And it, it inspired me because one of the things I, I do fear, I'm getting close to 50, like I don't have many fears, but I fear aging. I fear getting old. I fear dying. Like since growing up, I grew up with religion. I know you're an atheist. I grew up with religion. And um, I grew up with religion too, though. So don't worry. I get it. Okay. And <laughs> yeah. sometime in my 20s, I decided I didn't, I didn't believe anymore. I don't not believe, but I don't believe. So it, when you go from believing in God and believing your whole life is, you know, you're on this pathway, you're going to die, you're going to go to heaven to um, now I don't believe that it's a little bit scary. At yeah. least for me, it's a little bit scary. So when I see guys like Ron Paul and G. Edward Griffin, not, nearly 90 years old, just killing it, it gives me a little fresh air. lets me breathe a little bit. Um, and both of those guys kill it on the free speech and and that that's my main i've decided with covid that that that's my main area of focus like i care about the wars that's that's what got me on this path but there's not a lot a guy like me can do about the wars and international policy but i feel like free speech is something we can fight for and make a difference so that's where i'm at with it all yeah so let's talk a little bit about your show um why you started doing it and then i want to get into the censorship that you've dealt with on a pretty large level a little bit later but what um what was the purpose of your show what specific venue did you want to go down and what particular things did you want to cover was it free speech from the beginning is that kind of what you really set no, out was, to get no, after i i fell into this by accident i i was a writer I'm a businessman, but I, I would write in my free time. And I wrote a novel maybe 12 years ago, got it published. It sold about 20,000 copies. It's called Broken. Then I got my wife, I got married, got my wife pregnant. And at that time in my life, I was a, I was a party guy. I was, I was what you would call a, you know, what they call these days a fuck boy, right? I was one of those. And I, and, and I fell in love. I got married. We're having a kid. And it was a lot at once. Um, and I, so I, I wrote a, a memoir, a comedy memoir about transitioning from being a party dad or a party guy to a dad. It was called Daddy versus the Suck Monster. And that one sold really well. So from that, I started this Facebook page. So this is like maybe 2015. I start the Facebook page. It, it's called The Dad Presents. It quickly got about 100,000 followers. And it was all just like dad jokes and dad stuff. And then when Donald Trump was nominated 2016 i started making little political comments not pro donald trump not the other guy just like hey 
let's settle down here. It seems everybody's getting a little tense about this Trump guy. Like, let's take it easy. Let's take a breath. Let's not react the way we're reacting. And the dynamic shifted after that. And I started losing a lot of the people who were following me for the parenting stuff, started picking up these new followers. Um, and then from there, I started to do a podcast in 2018 with one of my best friends. He's no longer part of the show anymore. And we were still doing the parenting stuff. And then the lockdowns came. And then it was still a parenting show with me and my buddy. But the lockdowns here in California, our kids were sent home from school. And within a month, it became very apparent to me that this was fucking stupid. And you're ruining my kids' lives and my future. I would go out in the living room and I would watch them on Zoom school. And it's just, it was hot garbage. And that lasted till the end of the year. And then they picked up with it the next year. It lasted for a full year here. So he's trying to do this parenting show and I'm constantly ranting about Liberty and then I'm getting us banned on YouTube here and there. So he left the show and then it just, that's what the show became. So around the time COVID started, we full transitioned from this is a parenting show, the dad presents to now this is the dad presents all about Liberty. It was just, it just happened. I felt like it had to happen. I feel like, I feel like if my kids don't have any freedom, Liberty is a parenting thing, right? If they can't go to school, um, and it also changed my, my opinions on schools, by the way, because I used to be a believer in the public school system because my mom, my dad, my sister, they're all teachers in the public school system. But when that all happened, and I saw how much control they had over my kids and they could end it at any time. And then I could also see the curriculum because they're in my living room and the curriculum's fucking bullshit. Well, that just pushed me even more into that Liberty arena. Like, Give me back my $14,000. I'll educate them myself type of deal. Yeah, my dad's a public school teacher, too. And he and my mom decided to homeschool all five of us kids oh. until we went to high school. Then we went public school. But actually, my older sister, she didn't even go to high school. She was home. She doesn't even have a high school diploma. She has a, you know, the homeschool certification or whatever that's called. I forget. But um <laughs> when your dad's a high school teacher and my mom was an elementary school teacher until my older sister was born and then she quit and then just my dad taught Man. and then same in a sounds like sounds like we have very similar upbringings yeah it's <laughs> the same yeah, with my no, mom but... she had to quit five kids yeah mm -hmm. wow that's crazy the religious upbringing too yep. you were saying that exactly the same with me um and even the fear of like death like that being the biggest thing that kept me from ever, you know, <laughs> going down that road. It's all, it's kind of interesting. Um, so when did you start facing a ton of censorship? Cause you, by the way, are you like, did you get reinstated on Facebook? Cause I, it, it took, it took about almost 50 days and a lawyer, but yeah, we got back on. So, okay. So my partner for the original show, I'm not, I'm not going to say who he is. I mean, people can go back and listen to early episodes and easily find it, but he's one of my best friends, but he's a, he's a, a big deal in the democratic party in California. I'll just say that. Yeah. So when I'm going down this Liberty path and I'm, you know, fuck Gavin Newsom, this and that, that's not going to work out for us as, as a show. Like I was right. putting him in jeopardy, you know what I mean? Like, so he, he had to leave. He had to, he had to do that for himself. Um, but then I started just making, about two months into the pandemic, maybe May-ish, I started making just funny little YouTube short videos showing the hypocrisy of the lockdowns versus what's going, you know, you go to Walmart and there's goddamn a thousand people there, 
right? So I can't go to the corner store, but I can go to Walmart. So I started making little videos like that. And I did one where I went to the bank where you had to wear a mask and I wore a Michael Jackson mask instead of like a mask. I wore a whole head mask and I put those on YouTube and the first two didn't get very much. And then the third one got a lot of views, not enough where it would alert anybody of anything, but someone obviously reported it. And then all three videos got taken down and they ended the channel. So my channel used to be The Dad Presents. So this is two years ago. They took that channel down. That's why my, my channel on YouTube now is Super Bad Dad. I had to start a new mm -hmm. channel. Haven't been able to get much traction there on YouTube. I get most of my traction on Spotify. YouTube's been slow slogging. Maybe it has something to do with the name. I don't know. But then finally, about three months ago, I had on Dr. Pierre Quarry. All right. And Dr. Pierre Corey's the head doctor for the FLCCC, uh, frontline COVID something, something big shot there. He's been on Rogan and he's a big pusher of the I word. I'm not going to say it because I'm not going to get your channel in trouble, but you know the word. Um, so he talked about that at great length. And then he went into this study that I think everybody knows about now about this insurance company in Cleveland who came up with data showing the number of people who have died, not COVID related since Q2 of last year, since the shot came out. Um, and this insurance company is showing that we have unprecedented amount of deaths that are not COVID related. And he's just talking about that. And he went into detail and he made some assumptions based on that. That episode got 30,000 views in one day, which is about 15 times bigger than anything else I'd had on the new channel. 30,000 in a day. Well, that got taken down. And on that same day, Facebook took my page away, which I had had since 2015. Twitter took me off. So all of it on the same day, which is strange. It would all happen on the same day. So Facebook permanently banned me. YouTube gave me like a week suspension. Twitter gave me a week suspension. Um, I got a lawyer. We uh, had to spend some money. It took almost 50 days and we got the Facebook page back. But now the interesting thing is, so at the peak, we had 100,000 followers. Now we're down to like 70,000. But still, even with 70,000, anything I would post um, two years ago, you, you can see on Facebook how many people see your post. Any of mm -hmm. my posts would be seen by about 30,000 people. When I post something now, since I've been back, they get seen by less than 100. Yeah. And I can't, I can't imagine that's a coincidence. I can't no. imagine like all those people just stop caring. So- it's, it angers me, you know, cause I worked hard to build that up, but more importantly, it, it's scary. It's scary to think that these places like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, it's where all the public discourse is now and they are manipulating it and controlling it. I mean, we saw what happened with Hunter Biden and how that's all worked out. And that's scary to think about. They can, they can steer this country in whatever direction they want because they control the narrative and they're going to determine what gets heard and what does not. Yeah. It seems they're willing to sacrifice, um, you know, profit to control the narrative because when they do a lot of this stuff, it really hurts their numbers. I mean, people left Twitter in droves when they banned Donald Trump, um, mm -hmm. you know, just multiple instances like that. It doesn't do anything to help them in an economic sense, but they care more about controlling the flow of information than they do about making money because power is more important than money in their minds. Uh, would you agree with that? 
Well, I, that's blatantly obvious. Yes. And, and we're going to know that for sure with this Elon Musk thing. I'm sure you're aware Elon Musk made an offer to buy Twitter. Um, it's when, when he bought, you know, the first 10%, the shares jumped by 30%. And now he's offering to buy the rest for like another, I don't know, like 15 or 20% above that. So if they reject that, which would make all their shareholders a lot of money, clearly they don't care about money. Clearly they have their eyes on something bigger. What is that? It's the same thing. In my opinion, it's the same thing. It always is. It's power, right? It's power. It's control. And that, that's, I mean, that's where all, I think all libertarians end at with their thinking is they realize that power corrupts and people who seek power are not good people and should not be allowed to have power. So that's, you know, for me, that's why I believe in liberty, like to strip power away from people, return the power to the individual. Yeah. So if he is successful in buying Twitter, which I think I saw one of the Saudi shareholders rejected his offer or something. So I don't know how, I don't know how many people are going to go through with it or like how successful he'll be at buying it. But let's say he is successful at buying Twitter. Do you think it will still devolve into the same mess eventually somehow? Or do you think this is, this will be like a huge win and he'll really be dedicated to bringing back free speech? Or do you think it's going to turn into like, uh, uh, parlor or like a right wing echo chamber? Or do you think he's really right. just going to try to nuke all the, all the ridiculous rules that are in there now? Right. You know, there's, there's really no way to know. I mean, it can't get worse. I know it can't right. get worse. Um, and, and just the fact that it's happening is amazing. I mean, look, the only way really to have a totally free, we, we saw with Gab what happened, right? Everybody got excited about Gab, thought Gab was going to be a free speech platform or not Gab, Getter was not yeah. free speech platform at all. It was it was another right wing thing. Um, the only way I was a gonna, pioneer in that frontier, by that way, I, I do remember. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I remember your posts on there. And yeah, they 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 went after you pretty quick. Um the only way you're actually going to get a free speech platform is through decentralization, through some kind of uh, um, new digital technology, some, some, the blockchain. That's the only way it's mm -hmm. going to happen. I believe there's one. Uh, there was a guy on Joe Rogan uh, a month or two ago. He has one called Minds. Have you heard of Minds? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's decentralized. That should be... A free speech platform what will happen with twitter if elon gets it i don't know i'd like to i'd like to hope he is a man of his word a, a man who really believes in free speech but he's a fucking greedy billionaire so who who knows who knows what he's going to do with it i i don't have faith he will be who he says he will be but i'm excited that it's part of the conversation and could be happening yeah i mean it seems to me that a free speech platform would be one where you can set your own filters which twitter has that capability like if you don't want to see any pornographic content or certain words you can edit all of that yourself so this idea that we need regulations to keep people from posting sensitive content i think it's just stupid like if you don't want to see it you should be able to make it so you can't see it whatever it is whether mm -hmm. if it's you don't want to see violence or 
sexually explicit material or certain political opinions, whatever, like that's fine, but you should just take the time to do your own due diligence and make it so you don't see any of that stuff so that other people don't have to work around your inability to hear people that will say things or post things that you find offensive. It seems like yeah. it should be that way. Yeah. I think you're saying that you're a grown up and and you can decide <laughs> what, what you can see and what you can't. And you're right. right. Uh, Jack, the last CEO of Twitter, um, after he got off Twitter, after he stopped being the CEO, uh, he's been, you know, he's posting, he's posting libertarian books and whatnot. And he, and he said that um, there was a way for Twitter. He wanted to have two Twitters, one that was completely unregulated where it would do exactly what you say. And then like the watered down version of Twitter that we have now, but they wouldn't go for that. That, that shows you they're not interested in making money. They're not interested yeah. in free speech. They're interested in controlling the narrative. And we saw, we've seen in the last, I would say the last three elections probably, and definitely the last two, how important Twitter is to, to elections. Like it, it swayed probably the last three elections. Obama, Obama was, you know, the first to it. He jumped on that. And who who was he against in two thousand eight? Was it Romney or McCain? McCain. Yeah. McCain. McCain didn't know what the fuck he was doing. And Obama's out there on social media, and that's why he won. And then Trump in two thousand sixteen, I mean, he was that was his whole thing. If there was no Twitter, he wouldn't have stood a chance. So the value of Twitter, everybody can see it. You can control society by controlling the narrative on Twitter. If we, if we could get something like Minds or if Twitter could become decentralized, it could it could reshape society. Otherwise, yeah, there's no I, pathway to freedom. I was thinking how sad it is that Twitter has become how bad it is because, you know, like, yeah, I can go on Gab and like David Duke will be on there or something like some person who would never be allowed on Twitter. And I can go on Getter and find, uh, you know, like Alex Jones or whatever. But like when Twitter had everybody, like literally David Duke and Milo Yiannopoulos and yeah. Alex Jones and like everybody, along with Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump and Joe Biden. And I mean, it's just like it's such a magnificent idea that you can say something that any of these people could come across like you can make a, you could crack a joke on some thread that alex jones starts and then you can go tell nancy pelosi to go fuck herself like the <laughs> fact that that doesn't exist anymore is just really sad that you have to like jump platform to platform and you don't just see all these crossovers anymore is kind of a tragedy like i there won't ever be another platform or maybe there will be, but it doesn't seem like there will ever be another platform like Twitter was in 2014. You know, it just seems like yeah. it, it's just becoming more and more compartmentalized and that overlap and people taking shots at each other from a place where you could kind of just say whatever you want. Like, that's just kind of a thing of the past at this point. Yeah, it was it was the Wild West for a minute. And it it was pretty great, and it was a lot of fun. And now it's just it's just a cesspool of propaganda and and war propaganda. Like everybody's got their fucking Ukrainian flag. And look, my my family is my grandmother's Ukrainian. Like 
my people are from there but the the prop the war propaganda is just so gross and maybe it wouldn't seem as gross to me if i didn't just live through the last 20 years of american history and see it all before but it it's to me it's just so blatantly obvious and and it's sad to me that most people don't recognize it because especially people my age people my age who have who were adults in 2001 who saw the lies of the iraq war who saw everything we've lived through since then are they're buying it and out here in california almost everybody's buying it and it it, it breaks my heart a little bit yeah and i know um, i know you've you've been a big uh warrior against that kind of stuff and we we appreciate guys like you because you know your shit and you you tell people and and that's courageous too because um in the way that i i was getting banned for covid stuff constantly uh when you say things they don't want you to hear you're putting your neck on the line and they're probably gonna you haven't been banned anywhere yet but they're coming for you soon oh, <laughs> that yeah. would be my I mean, I... be my prediction I did lose 20,000 followers on Twitter, but it was, I was technically violating the, oh, right. uh, the Twitter rules. It was something incredibly stupid, but technically they were right. It wasn't, if I get banned next time, I want it to be for something, you know, somewhat important. That was just like, it was, it was ridiculous, but yeah, I mean, I, I personally, you know, we were talking earlier about the, you know, growing up as conservatives, because I did too. I uh, I remember being suckered for a lot of things when I was, you know, in middle school and high school and really buying into a lot of propaganda and obvious bullshit. And it pisses me off to think back to that time and realize that I fell for all of it. And I never was a socialist or a Democrat or a progressive or whatever. So that like cringe crap doesn't make me as angry because I don't see it in, you know, I don't see any of it in myself. So like when I look back at the way I used to be, um, it make it, I have, I have more of a reaction to it now. And, you know, war propaganda is a big part of that so that i think that's why i'm so outspoken on that issue I would, because i would say that's that definitely I why for. Yeah. i would say that's that's definitely a big reason now you're talking about parenting stuff like as parents the main job is not to fuck up your kids like all we're all fucked up every no parent has done this job perfectly like everybody has scars from their childhood and those scars affect you for the rest of your life like I was very, very bitter about religion in my 20s when I was coming out of it. Very bitter, very resentful. I spent 10 years where I just did every drug, had all the sex because I, that was all repressed when I was young. I was a good little, I was, a, I was right. an altar boy. I was a good little altar boy. And I felt like I got robbed out of my childhood and I'm going to make up for lost time now. And I fucking went for it, man. And I did a pretty <laughs> good job. Um, so, but I had good, I had good parents. I had really solid yeah, parents my same. point is is that everybody comes out of childhood a little bit fucked up and those tiny scars that we have impact us for a very long time if not the rest of our life so that's something we're constantly talking about on our show is like the main thing you want to do for your child 
is you want to be there. You want to love them. You want to be present. You want to provide for them. And you just want to minimize the damage you do to them because you, you're going to accept you're going to do some damage. You, what, what, how you feel about war, I would say without question, has something to do with your childhood. I think that's a great observation that you come to that conclusion without being a parent because I didn't realize these things until I was a parent then looking back on it. Yeah, I'm uh, going to try to share the screen here. Um, what the heck? Let's see. When Chrome tab. There it is. So uh, my parents were actually anti-war. This is, uh, I think that's showing up. Yeah. So I just, my dad found this clip from 2003. Uh, this is me right here. The uh, the guy in the green uh, oh, jacket wow. and everything. So I'm. How old eight. are you there? This is, I think, March of 2003. So I'm like eight or I'm eight, almost nine. Uh, but I'm just going to play this. So that says this is in Sunapee, New Hampshire. So Baghdad is someone's Sunapee. That's what that means. So it's, it's someone's hometown. This is my older sister here in the that's pink great. jacket. So and then that sign behind there says blood is thicker than oil. And there are a bunch of we were all holding signs. Uh, that's my younger brother right there in the red. Wow. That's my younger that's sister awesome. in the pink over there. But he just found this and sent. Now it to wait me, a minute. So. You said you said your parents were very conservative, yet they yes. were conservative. Yet they saw from pretty early on that these wars were wrong. So they weren't. Yeah. they weren't buying they, it hook, line, and sinker. No, and and they weren't like paleo conservatives, and they certainly weren't libertarians. They were like evangelical. Like in every way except for the war, they were like George W. Bush. Yeah, Republicans. but isn't that interesting? Because you say they weren't evangelical. Like we, when we do think of well, they the were. Religious they people, were evangelical. Okay, Christians, I'm sorry. So, when yeah. we think of when we think of the religious people and and that time frame, most of them were pro-war, which yeah. is a very confusing thing. Because when you when you understand what Jesus is all about, it's not not war. So that was one of the first things that that got me turned off to religion like that. Those two things didn't, didn't jive for me. Like religion is about loving your neighbor, you know, turning yeah. the other cheek. It's not about fucking dropping bombs on churches in, in Baghdad. Yeah. Yeah. It, I it's weird. The, the no blood for oil sign. That's funny. I remember those, man. That, that was, that was the rallying cry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's funny. Um, my parents were like very thoughtful and they would, especially my dad, he would let me ask any questions I had about religion or politics or whatever. And then as I obviously showed there, they were very against the grain on war. You know, to them, thou shalt not kill meant the death penalty, abortion and war. Like mm -hmm. those are all bad, which, you know, that kind of makes sense. Sounds thou shalt right not me. kill means yep. thou shalt not kill. Um, <laughs> And I uh, imagine that, but the institutions they were sending to sending us to were just horrible. Like we went to summer camp and, uh, you know, vacation Bible school and our mm. church when we do Sunday school with other people, you know, I mean, like it, they were all completely pro-war. They were very Zionist, very pro-Israel, and they were also extremely extremely dogmatic religiously like there was no room for any questioning of anything like when i went to summer camp if i would say like wait so why do catholics go to hell they'd be like we are going to pray that you have more understanding and you stop asking those questions like oh okay whatever <laughs> you know so uh 
like I have a lot of bitterness from my childhood, from a lot of propaganda, I was told, but mm-hmm. my parents, other than sending me to these places, they, they don't really share a lot of that responsibility because they were very open-minded and always willing to talk about anything. Um, so I, I was lucky. I, I had good parents. Like you, Interesting. You did, Sounds like maybe so, they didn't have a, a ton of idea that what was going on at these places. Another, another thing I've... that struck, that struck me about religion, the one, another one that really got me was the, uh, the gay thing. Um, mm-hmm. because Catholics are super homophobic, maybe not anymore, but 20 years ago, they were super homophobic. And for me, I'm like, I was never homophobic. I didn't get that. Like, they're just, you know, this guy's not going to like, he's not going to fuck me if I don't want to fuck him. Like, what's there to be afraid of? I didn't understand how, okay, if we believe God created us, God made this guy want to touch butts. Well, how, how then is he going to send him to hell for that? Right. So, but then when you ask those questions, cause I would ask the priest questions like that. They just, they shush you. They don't want much yeah. like the state doesn't want you asking question. The priest doesn't want you asking questions. Yeah. yeah yeah for sure very similar um so th- this is a good question for you you know a lot of there's a lot of hubbub around the the transgender issue right now um and you know so the, the argument is like they're not old enough to be able to decide this you know for themselves and then the counter argument is like well they're not old, they're not old enough to decide anything for themselves you're brainwashing them if you teach them about religion about whatever and I think the counter arguments bullshit, like obviously you have to some extent brainwash your children because yeah, they're not going to understand anything, but you have to give them a foundation upon which to stand, you know, like that's mm-hmm. what my parents did for me. They were very open-minded and willing to let me ask questions about anything, but they were very firm. Like you are, not going to do this and you are going to do this while you live in this house when you leave this house you can make your own decisions but as long as you're here this is the way you're going to live and looking back i don't think i I don't regret being brought up that way i mean i think kids who are brought up just being allowed to do whatever they want and not being disciplined in any way i think they end up being little demons <laughs> you know usually and they they're not prepared for life they don't know how they don't have a work ethic they don't value respect or hard work or you know perseverance or integrity like it just doesn't matter to them so even though there's some bullshit that i was brought up with that i feel like i left behind overall i'm glad i was brought up the way i was but I, any thoughts on that Oh man, I got all kinds of thoughts on that. I was brought up in a very strict home and that made me rebel. So I always said, I'm not going to have a strict home. Now, what's your definition of strict? Like not being allowed to do shit. I couldn't go to parties. I couldn't have a good time. Wasn't allowed to date. Um, so I decided that's not the kind of dad Were you I'm allowed be. to trick or treat on Halloween. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. I, I grew up in a stricter house than you. <laughs> wow. You can trick or treat. Wow. No. Wow. It's the devil's holiday. We weren't allowed to. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Um, so what we did with our kids and it's working, I think uh, we have two pretty great kids is I've taught them everything I can teach them, but I, I teach them in a way that they're allowed to ask questions and I just give them the information. I don't. Of course, you're going to influence your kids. You can't not. 
but I try just right. to give them the information and let them come to their own conclusions. And we have a rule in our house that the only, the only real crime in this house is lying. You cannot lie to mom and dad. And if you break that, because once, once you lie to us, we can't trust you. If we can't trust you, then you can't do shit. So I was teaching my kid at the age of four. Now people think this is crazy. At the age of four, I was teaching him about sexuality, uh, gender stuff. I taught him all that because I knew we're in California. He's going to hear it. I learned how babies are made from my buddy, Jamie DeFinis in seventh grade. And what he told me is you put your penis in a girl's butt. And that's how I thought babies were made until about ninth grade. Right. So that's <laughs> fucked up. I didn't want that yeah. for my kids. So I taught them. And my kid has always been very advanced in that stuff. My wife was a little against it because she thought you like you're like taking away their innocence, you're taking away their childhood. But it didn't. They had tremendous childhoods. Yes, you have to discipline. You absolutely have to discipline. But disciplining them when they fuck up um, is not the same as not letting them do things. I let them I give them rope. I let them make mistakes. And if they make a mistake that was because of something they should not have done then then i punish them now you asked about the trans stuff i've had a couple trans people on the show that subject fascinates the shit out of me i'm i'm fascinated by it i don't i don't know why but i find it to be incredibly fascinating and out here it's wild so my my son he's 12 and he has a little girlfriend his girlfriend is uh what how does she describe herself non-binary bisexual which is bullshit she's 12 she's a virgin she's not she's right. not any kind of sexual she's a 12 year old girl right but we met her she's perfectly normal but here's what you have going on in the schools out here and this is not an exaggeration i asked i asked him like well why don't you just get a girl who's like straight girl like you're a straight boy get a straight girl and he said dad every single girl in my school except five identifies as a lesbian or non-binary so it's become <laughs> So that we're talking about a school with 300 girls. So he yeah. said all of them that he knows, except for five, identify that way. It's become the new trend. It's become trendy out here. And the reason you know it's trendy is it's impossible for 285, 300 girls to be lesbian or non-binary. And also I asked him, well, are all your buddies gay and, and non-binary? He's like, he's like, no, I don't know any guys like that. There's like one in the school. So it's become like the hip trend for the girls but it's still the mm -hmm. icky thing for the boys. Like it was when we were growing up. So that, so that's another reason I wanted to get ahead of it there. I wanted to teach him before he falls into some of the traps that are going on out here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a balance, like you're saying, like there, there are some things my parents did that we still, all of us give them shit about. And it's funny after enough time goes by, they'll start saying like, no, we didn't do that. It's like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah you did. <laughs> like that's, I remember. that's infuriating. Oh yeah. And, and it's funny, like seeing how the standards slid from my older sister and I to our younger sister. Cause my younger mm -hmm. sister's six years younger than me and we're all two years apart, all five of us. And so my older sister and I, we were brought up, very similarly as far as strictness goes and then for my younger brother it got a little bit lighter and then my younger other younger brother it was even lighter and then my youngest sister by the time she graduated it was like wow you guys have just let things fly mm -hmm. um i remember um i think i was i think it was 15 and my dad was like reed you're getting a little too like 
obsessed with like World War II and death and stuff. <laughs> like it's not, it's not war is not a good thing. You need to watch Saving Private Ryan with me because I had only seen. Oh man, like, you were that kid. You're oh that yeah, kid. dude. Like I, I loved World War II. I was just obsessed with it, and I thought it, it was just the coolest thing ever. And my dad was like, "Read War is not." cool it's really it sucks so he watched saving private ryan with me and it just shocked me and i remember i cried for like half an hour after watching it by the time my sister was 14 she was watching it alone in the basement and it like didn't phase her at all it was just like oh yeah there, there's a movie i mean it just shows like how extreme mm -hmm. the shift was <laughs> through the, you know, yep. through the different kids or whatever. I remember this, is, I'm not exaggerating. Like we would get our mouths washed out with soap. If we called each other stupid when we were younger, like that was <laughs> one of the words we weren't allowed to say. Um, as I said earlier, we didn't do trick or treating because Halloween was, you know, worshiping the devil or whatever. And, we weren't allowed to read Harry Potter books. We didn't have any video games until my younger siblings started playing them. Um, but yeah, I've never been trick or treating my whole life. Never. Wow. Went. Uh, wow. Yes. You got to do it. I mean, you're, you're kind of a walking costume. You could go out like that. Like yeah, you could, no, you could the be the recovered thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're yeah. like a human costume. It's great. I so feel, I feel a little bit like I've lived your life. You, you're, you have five kids. We, we were in a family of five. I was the oldest. You were the second oldest. And that was a joke we had. Like I, I wasn't allowed to, to watch any rated R movies. And we, and we make the joke that by the time my sister was my age, the only, the only rule was no smoking crack in the kitchen because it, they completely <laughs> right. changed five yeah. kids down. Um, speaking of language, you, I had, I also had my mouth washed out by with soap, but that was by my grandmother. The the nice. So how would she do it? Me. Was it the soap flakes on the washcloth? Because my dad would yes, wet a washcloth exactly and then pour yeah. soap flakes on it and say, "Stick your tongue out," and then get it right on like the flat part of your tongue where the bitterness yep. really. Yeah, same thing. Hundred okay. <laughs> percent. Yep, that's how she did it. That's how yeah. she did it. Um, strong, crazy Ukrainian woman. Loved loved her. She was great. Um, but she um. Speaking of language, so stupid was a bad word in your house. That's another one that I had a big problem with. And I decided as a parent, I'm going to be different. Like words are just fucking sounds you make with your face, right? Like they, they're, they're just sounds. So it's not the word that you choose to say. It's the intention. And this is what I teach my kids. So my kid, my little nine-year-old walks around the house sometimes and says the F word. Now we don't let him say that outside the house because he will be judged and he will be treated poorly. But in this house... He might say it, but if he says "fuck you" to his brother or to me, he's gonna he's gonna be in a world of hurt. But if he says, "Mom, I fucking love you," that's just a word, and he's saying a nice thing. You know what I mean? So that's something I tried to change in our household. Like words are just sounds. I don't care what words you choose. I care about the meaning behind what you're saying. And, so and, and that comes from the, the the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Like right. there's only ten rules in the whole Bible that. And one of the 10 things you're going to go to hell for is, is saying God's name. It's fucking retarded. Like that's yeah. just, that's retarded. I'm sorry. I can't, I can't sign up for your religion when you have 10 rules. And one of them is there's a magic word I can't say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you, uh, so my dad and mom, they were extremely strict when it came to what we were allowed to watch, you know, 
what type of movies or t we didn't we didn't have a television hookup no cable we just watched movies that was it and then like reruns of old tv you shows have cable where where did you grow up in new hampshire in new hampshire and was yeah. that by choice or were you guys just oh yeah no by cable? choice no wow. it was my choice um but uh it's a, it's a very very strict socially but they would let us do anything we wanted as far as like you know going out in the woods alone starting fires in the backyard by ourselves uh going shooting when we were older uh going like once we were old enough to drive like going a hundred miles away from home and doing a 30 mile backpacking trip for a couple days out in the woods uh they'd let us like we were jumping off of a 30 foot bridge into like eight feet of water in a river when we were in like early high school um they'd let us go outside when it was below zero when we were children and go play and they would let us do anything when it came to that it was basically like just don't kill yourself and don't hurt each other and just go have fun and they were just completely hands off with that and looking back in life like i mean that's why i am so gung-ho now because i just (laughs) i grew up that way it was like yeah just go do it you know um and so many people are terrified to be that way with anything like they won't they're terrified to try something because they might fail where i grew Mm -hmm. out of that at age five you know so yeah um so many parents nowadays are so overprotective of their children in that Uh. regard like it's almost the opposite of my parents like they they let them watch anything they want and they let them you know identify as gender queer whatever the fuck but if you want to go swimming without parental guidance, then no, 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 no. You can't do that. You might die. So I, I just right, want, man. what do you think about that? Are you, are you like no, really hands off right. with your kids or what do you like? You're, you're, you're absolutely right. I didn't get to do that stuff as a kid. Cause my, my parents were scared and parents, parents live in fear. I definitely see that out here. Um, no, we, we, we let our kids do some shit. Now it's always a tug of war with the wife. Cause she's, She's got a little anxiety. So it's always a tug of war, but I want them to do that shit. Like, look, you're an interesting dude. You've done a lot of shit. You've had a good life. Like you live one time. You got to experience things. And your childhood is the, the the best part of your life in a lot of ways. It's the most free, even though you're not free, your, your parents are in charge. You, you have no responsibility. So live, experience, do shit. I didn't get to do shit. So in my 20s, again, I went crazy. As a result, I have three vertebrae fused in my neck, have an artificial joint in my neck. My wrist is fused and they pulled a bone out. Uh, I've had a knee surgery. I've had about 15 serious surgeries in my 20s because I became very reckless and wanted to try everything all at the same time. Right. Right. I was, again, rebelling and I had a lot of injuries. Um, We let our kids do stuff we they're also very well traveled we've taken them to panama costa rica uh the philippines they're half filipino they've been they've been all over the place and we try to instill they have a good sense of adventure by nature and we try to really encourage that because you're right a lot of parents make this mistake where they sit them down in front of the fucking ipad or the tv and that's just laziness you're just being a lazy parent when you do that now don't don't get me wrong my, my kids do that too but we we don't let it get over the top because some some kids will they'll sit there all day for eight hours a day if you let them and they're just poisoning their head with 
30 second TikTok videos one after another and their brains are turned into fucking mush and kids aren't getting on their bikes anymore. You know, we used to get on our bikes, go to our buddy's house and you'd come home at dark. Kids don't really yeah. do that anymore. Um, so we really try to we try to push them to do that because it's a healthier way to live. It's a better way to learn, learn by doing instead of watching. So, yeah, I, I completely agree with your statement. And I think it's important. And I and COVID really, really dialed the clock back on this and made it even worse because yeah. parents who were already afraid are more so afraid. Like we have some of my kids' friends they have not seen in two years because there was a year where they were, they were homeschooled. And during the year of homeschool, of course, those kids never left their home, did not leave their home. And then they go back to school and they're back in school, but they still have all these like stupid distancing guidelines. And some kids have elected not to come back. So they still do <coughs> school by zoom. So these kids, I'm sorry, but they're, they're fucked up. They're fucked for life. They've been home for two years. They've not been interacting socially. They've been not, not been getting exercise. They've been doing Zoom school. And then they've been looking at TikTok videos. They're fucked. They're in big trouble. Um, and and that's, that's one thing that really does bother me about California because I'm sure it's not like that in most of the country, but it is like that out here. And the really wild thing is that parents, people my age, who should know better, who had normal childhoods, they see this and they have their kids going through it and they're perfectly fine with it. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, a, a big part of the reason I named the, sh the show, the naturalist capitalist is because I, I think uh, capitalism mirrors natural law in a lot of ways. And I'm talking about true capitalism where it's not, socialized losses and privatized gains is privatized gains and privatized losses like you let things fail when they're not going to make it we've created this society where everything needs to be artificially protected and elevated to a status it doesn't belong like if people mm -hmm. suck at something they shouldn't do that job if you're right. if you didn't come in first place in the tournament then you didn't come in you don't get a trophy you know it's like first second mm -hmm. third after that you lost get over it you know do better next yeah. time we've just completely thrown that out and i think the lockdowns and covid was kind of that ideology coming to its final conclusion where it's like we can't let anyone die so we'll just all stay home and actually you know lead to more suffering than we would have if we didn't do that but it's just this stupid mentality that you know people are going to get hurt people are going to die people are going to suck at things people but i mean we just need to stop having this idea that we can save everybody and give everybody um you know the that everyone's going to have um equitable outcomes like it just doesn't work that way that's not no that's not scientific that's not natural so to no. try to make it that way is just a mistake and I yeah feel it's like a mistake it yeah. it's a mistake i think it comes from it comes from a good place for most people sure. most people see someone struggling and they think we should help that person so i think the intentions are good but what people don't okay i I'm a, by a craft, I'm a physical therapist. I said that. So for 15 years out here, 
I worked in the ghettos. I was able to build a business uh, that I started for $25. I sold it in 2018, which was perfect timing because uh, I sold it right before the, the, the lockdowns. And I made a good amount of money doing this. I was able to build this business because I was going into Compton and Watts and South Central, all the communities where people were afraid to go. I wasn't afraid. They weren't that bad. So I was able to build this business there. And at the time when I started that started that business was probably about 2008. If you would have asked me, I would have said, I do believe in affirmative action and I do believe in uh, some form of um, welfare. But after working in those communities for years and years and years, what I saw is that all the people who were getting that stuff, everybody who was getting welfare, everybody who benefited from affirmative action, it was tearing those communities apart. Those, those communities are filled with homes that have no fathers. Most of the fathers are in prison. Um, and the moms are collecting welfare and the kids are just running around slinging drugs. It's a bad situation. And I don't think it was that way 40 years ago. I think it's a direct reaction or a direct response to government intervening and trying to help if that's what they were actually trying to do. So yeah, yeah to, to your point, you can't, you can't try to prop everybody up and you can't try to make everything equitable and they don't try to do it for everybody. They just try to do it for the super poor and then the super rich, right? They yeah. don't try to do it for us. We, we don't, we don't get any of that, but it yeah. doesn't, it doesn't work. And the evidence is all you have to do is since they started all these bullshit policies is look at what the wealth gap was 50 years ago and look at the wealth gap now. And it's way worse now. Right. Yeah. The one thing it was supposed to correct is way worse. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's funny seeing everyone who is always complaining about the wealth gap and the 1% of the 1% having all the wealth. They, is that your Bernie? Yeah. They fully supported <laughs> every good. single bill that increased the wealth gap and increased the wealth of the 1%. It's just like, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, thanks you, for coming on. Bernie, go ahead. Do you, do you think he, um, I, I used to like him a bit. Um, do you think he's aware that his policies are like stealing from people and hurting the poor? Or do you do you think he really buys into that kind of stuff? I have never liked him. Um, and it's not because he's a socialist or he's for gun control or whatever. The reason I have not liked him is because he he's a fraud. Like, I don't think he's a sellout. You know, everyone's calling him a sellout. Like, oh, he sold out. It's like, well, you can't sell out if you're a fraud, <laughs> you know, like you're just always fake. But yeah, um, I mean, especially this year after, you know, how he, how much he shilled for Biden and just, or, you know, this last election, 2020, whatever. Um, so many people were shocked that he did that. And I was like, how can you be shocked after 2016? And that it doesn't even start in 2016. You go back far enough, it starts in the 90s when he voted for the Iraqi Liberation Act. And right. you know, when he was running for Congress from Vermont, he had to cut a deal with the Democrats that he would back them up on some of their foreign policy views if they wouldn't run a challenger against him if he ran as an independent. So like this has been around with him forever and I, I hate his guts because he's such a liar you know he acts like he's this radical socialist but he always votes corporate and 
he's only yeah. been against Bush's wars and you know, he didn't even show up to over try to overturn the Patriot Act in 2020 to nope. vote. And so like I, I just think he's a complete joke. And um like you know, I like Dennis Kucinich a lot. And he is the same thing that Bernie claims to be. But yes. if you look at his voting record, like he actually did vote against corporate spending and he actually did vote against war mm -hmm. and voted for civil liberties. And I disagree with Dennis Kucinich on at least a third of what he thinks, but it's like, okay, he's at least consistent and doing what he Man, says he's going to do, you know? I think you nailed it there. That That's the guy when I, I did identify as a liberal guy, I voted for Dennis for president two times because yeah, he, he was... He was sincere about it. You could believe him. And you're right. Bernie's a freaking fraud. And it's upsetting yeah. when you learn that about people. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, what about I, your girls? What about your girl, Tulsi? Like you supported her. Um, you still feel good about her? Uh, I don't regret supporting her. Um, I don't know if I would again in the future. It would have, I mean, because 2020 was weird. <laughs> I mean, we didn't really have. Understand. I mean, the options were so bad, you know, and she was so obviously better than everyone else. But um, I don't know, like she is so like when that clip came out of her talking about 9-11 and how it was or no, no, sorry, that was a tweet. She made a tweet about 9-11 saying it was because of all these radical Muslims who hate us because we're free or whatever. It was like, oh, God, that and. Right. Then she was on Tucker Carlson's show talking about um, the drone strike in Afghanistan and how drone strikes are better than like yeah anyone I who saw knows. That. She, even, she even cut Tucker off guard with that one. Like T Tucker seemed to be the anti-war guy in that conversation. I remember that yeah. one. That was surprising. The thing is, though, like none of that is surprising if you really know her well because she talked about that a lot during her campaign like i am a, she would say repeatedly i'm a hawk on terror and a dove on regime change and there were a few events i was at where she would say i am not a peacenik like people are trying to make me out to be some anti-war hippie i'm not i'm just against overthrowing dictators and expecting it to fix things so like that uglier side of her foreign policy that really isn't anything new um and it's something i've known about as long as i supported her but it's just so much better than everyone else like even if you still want to bomb al-qaeda if you don't want to give them weapons and you don't want to remove dictators in the middle east and you don't want to support saudi arabia like <laughs> still way better you know like yeah. i mean it's kind of like if that's what you want out of a leader it's it's pretty slim pickings like yeah your guy's dave smith probably yeah right that, is, that's yeah. our guy exactly yeah. so like if tulsi somehow ends up becoming the democrat nominee like if dave's running like he's my guy like because yeah he's just he's right on all of it you know he he realizes the root problems where this came mm -hmm. from and i'm still trying to get her she told me over a year ago now she would come on my show so uh, now that I've had like Ron Paul and Peter yeah. Schiff and some of these bigger names, hopefully she, I, I got to start bugging her again. I got her phone number. I should just call her and be like, yo, Tulsi, oh, why would, are we doing this? But <laughs> I would totally stalk her. Yeah. Yeah. Call her. Um, but I, I know you, I know you got to go and I know this is, you're supposed to interview me, but I, I did want to ask one more thing on sure. the Dave Smith tip. 
Dave, Dave's amazing. I, I love the dude. He, he, he's so good at communicating a message, right? That's his strength. He can really communicate a message. I think he would wipe the floor in a debate with anybody else that gets put up there. Is there any realistic possibility in your opinion that we can get Dave Smith on the national debate stage? I think so. I mean, I think there was a possibility you could have got Gary Johnson there in 2016 and think of what a dub he was like, <laughs> I mean, he was he such was, a disaster. Yeah. So if, I mean, it, it kind of depends on who the two candidates are. Like if it's DeSantis and some good Democrat, it's going to be like, if it's, if it's DeSantis against Tulsi, it's going to be way harder for Dave to get any recognition or make a mark. But if it's like, trump again versus biden or right. something like that or ted cruz versus kamala harris or something horrible like that then it'll be very easy for him to get a lot of attention and traction so i think yeah if there's two shitty candidates there's a pretty good possibility he'll end up on the debate stage and who knows dude if that happens who knows what could happen i don't think he could win but who knows? Like, I mean, who but knows? Just to get know. him up there and, and yeah. get people to hear that contrast would really make a, a big difference in this country. But right, he we went go. on he went on Glenn Beck recently oh, he and he's been on Megan Kelly's show. And like all of them are asking him, so man, are you gonna run for president? So when you have people like that wondering, you know, two years almost before that's pretty it big yeah. off, like that matters a lot. So sure, sure. <laughs> I'm optimistic, man. So tell us, uh, tell us where we could follow your show. I've got links to, I think your Facebook, your Twitter, your YouTube, and your website. Uh, yes. where do you put most of your stuff that people can keep up with? We're, we're at the dad presents on, on all platforms. Uh, Facebook is where we got our start. Most of the people who follow the show listen on Spotify, but we are trying to get the YouTube rolling. But to find it there, it's going to be youtube.com slash superbaddad. That's how you find the dad presents on YouTube. So check us out, please. All right, man. Well, I'll see you in Reno. Absolutely. Uh, That's going to be a good time. But I would like to talk on the show again, too. Uh, sorry, it took me almost a year. I was, I think, <laughs> I think when you had me on your show, I was like, oh, yeah, let's do a show sometime. And you were like, yeah, man. And then 11 months hey. went by. So. But you're, let's you're, do it again. you're, I like talking you're a busy you, so. man and, and you're kicking ass out there. I just appreciate you putting me on. Good time. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, Reed. Take All care. Right.